Geopolitics and Empire is joined by Sam Jacobs, the lead writer and chief historian with Ammo.com. His work has been featured in Bloomberg, USA Today, and National Review, but he is far more proud to see his work republished on websites like Zero Hedge, Lou Rockwell, and Sons of Liberty Media. Speaking of Lou Rockwell, I can't believe it, but this week alone, I have headlined LouRockwell.com uh, with my podcasts twice. Uh, amazing. The uh, Lou just posted uh, today my, my recent interview with uh, Edward Kurtzen that that's the first one on the list. And Sam's, so Sam's been writing some good stuff. And recently, he's written on The Great Reset, and we'll be getting his thoughts on what's going on in the world. Good day to you, Senor Jacobs. How are things in your FEMA region? Well, they haven't got us in the FEMA camps quite yet, but it's, you know, I mean, I, I'm very optimistic about the next uh, five to 10 years, I would say. I mean, I think that I, I, I don't, I'm not a black pillar and I don't really even understand why anybody is because as far as I'm concerned, everything's going swimmingly. The, uh, you know what? That's that's great. I, I need to. I need more more of you people uh, on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so more more optimism. And l let's get to that. But before getting to that, I kind of wanted to start. You know, I, I connected with you via our mutual friend Jose Nino, who's been my guest on multiple occasions. Who I also see now is with Ammo.com, and I've been reading Ammo uh, for years. Whenever the articles come my way, and I thought maybe you could refresh uh, our memory. You know, which is good to do from time to time. I was reading the about page on ammo and what y'all believe. And I'm like, me too. You know, that's Americana. And I think to myself, who can possibly disagree with this? Ammo believes in free speech, privacy, personal sovereignty, making sacrifices, fighting tyranny, freedom. So, you know, what is the philosophy of ammo and, and or your philosophy? And at its core, you know, uh, what, what is what would you say is the philosophy of America? Well, there's a lot to take on there. Um, I would say that you know the the document that we that we have on ammo.com, I think, is a really good statement of kind of what our principles are. But it basically breaks down to the idea that there's kind of a um, growing political realignment where the old left-right distinctions are less uh, relevant than they once were, and what we're faced with now is basically. You know, particularly post-COVID, is we've got people who are for your freedom or against your freedom. That's kind of how it's mostly shaking out post-COVID. Now, there's things that kind of form little tendrils and tails off of this. I think that the uh, fight over critical race theory would be an example of something that's not perhaps immediately, obviously connected back to that. But I think that the uh, Marxist subversion of public schools is very much relevant to our analysis of the world is being divided between those who want to enslave others and you know what uh ayn rand would have called rent seekers and what we might call social climbers today um and of course you know elites uh and those who wish to become them and the, the toadies to power and um of course a heavy dollop of resentful underclass who just want to take your stuff um you know and you've got that those kinds of forces in the world against um you know, uh, hardworking people who uh, don't want to take things by force from other people and believe in open discussion, open debate, the right of the basic, what I would consider to be the basic right to self-defense, um, the basic right to live one's life unmolested by the state or by these kinds of uh, unofficial toadies of the state, which they increasingly use to, you know, get people. Um, I think that's a pretty succinct summation of kind of where we're at with our analysis on ammo.com um, in terms of, you know, my, my personal philosophy, anybody who goes to my Twitter at Sam Jacobs, 1776 can see right on the banner that uh, in terms of, you know, politics and things that we, discuss uh, my two biggest influences would be Friedrich Nietzsche and uh, Thomas Hobbes um, I you know and I don't know how much you want me to go you know kind of down that rabbit hole but I think that the most succinct way that I could put it is that I, I think that there are difficult questions about the very notion of how free 
people can be, particularly in a world where they're surrounded by people who are actively hostile towards freedom and do not want to be free uh, and want to kind of crab bucket you and drag you down with them. And I don't think that these are you know questions that are kind of easily hand waved away. I don't think that questions of the um, you know, imbalance between the capacity of the state to do violence and the capacity of even organized citizens to do violence. Um, I, you know, the the nuclear bomb uh, issue, I don't think is a, is a hand waveable thing, which I think is is perhaps um, you know unique to me personally or not, but um, different anyway. And in terms of what's the philosophy of America. Um, I would say, you know, that the philosophy of America is probably best summarized in don't tread on me. You know, I think it really is as simple as that. And I think people can kind of get in the weeds on it and be, you know, nerds about it. But I think that uh, America stands for freedom and you get it or you don't. And people express it in different ways, but um, you you get it or you don't. You know, you talk to people about freedom who don't get it, and it's like it's just it's a waste of your time. That, that, that's kind of the issue for me. Is you know, I, I was born in the U.S. You know, I, I recall you know growing up in between the U.S. and Europe, and in the eighties, nineties, two thousands, and you know, it doesn't matter where you came from, your ethnicity. Uh, whatever you know people my, my parents came to the u.s with nothing i mean there's still people who who talk to me about white privilege you know we came from absolutely nothing and they, they didn't even speak english they came and they became successful middle class uh, people just like pe others from all walks of life and i i remember this wasn't an issue back then where you know everyone was going about their day working hard trying to make it doing well having this freedom to do whatever they want and all of a sudden now we're seeing like, I, I can't believe the people today who are against, who are offended by this idea of, of freedom in America. It's, it's, it's crazy. Well, I mean, I think that it's, it's actually very understandable. Um, I think if you begin to kind of understand the underpinnings of what all this is really about. I mean, I think that what this is, you know, quote unquote, really about now, first of all, by this, I mean these kinds of great reset things that um, you know we can talk about at length. But you know what is what kind of motivates them all, and I think that what motivates them all, um, we need to be very sophisticated in our analysis of what's driving it, because I think that you know these sorts of variations on mass psychosis explanations just don't really get to it. Though I do think that there's kind of an element of of, of madness to all of the leftism uh, throughout the world today. But, you know, I also think that there's, there's the question of power. I think that very closely tied to the question of power is the question of middle-class wealth uh, that's locked up in, you know, home equity and retirement funds that represents a massive, massive pool of wealth that's attractive to people who already have lots of wealth, but want even more of it and don't want to do it through being, you know, through productive uh, capitalism, which I think that we should be very, very clear in our denunciation of rent seeking capitalism, uh, what Ayn Rand would have called rent seeking. Um, I, you know, I, 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 Ayn Rand and I, I would say a hoppy or two, two people who fall kind of more towards the libertarian end of the ideological spectrum who i think do not have a starry-eyed analysis of the world by any stretch of the imagination and, and do you know confront these very real um issues of you know there's a mob and they don't they have no interest in in in, in freedom and that's sort of the other side of the coin is that i think that for people who um for whom whatever reason uh, freedom is not attractive. This, I think, becomes very, very frustrating. Uh, and, you know, this is perhaps the source of the madness is this kind of res res resentment, uh, what Nietzsche would call resentment against people who are free and are capable of handling freedom and taking on the responsibilities that come along with freedom. Um, 
So I think that there's a sophisticated sort of analysis that we need to employ where we look at, you know, the different kinds of components that are pushing the great reset, which I would break down roughly into, um, you know, the elites, the strivers and the underclass. And we have an excellent article about the great reset on ammo.com. Yeah, I, I have it here before me. And um, would you, what would you say is the most pressing issue uh, on your mind and perhaps that of you know, some of your fellow Americans uh, at the moment? Is it the, the Great Reset and all that that entails uh, or, or what? I think it's mostly the vaccination mandate. I mean, I think that like there's awareness of, a great re- of the Great Reset. You know, I don't think that this is a thing that's like super hidden and people don't know about. I think that um most politically aware people on the you know what we might loosely call the right end of the spectrum conservatives libertarians patriots um that type of milieu uh you know right libertarians i think that um you know there's there's pretty mass awareness of this i mean i don't think you need to, I, I i think there's probably more uh people who know about the great reset uh than have you know conservative Twitter accounts or whatever you want to say. I mean, I think among boomer conservatives, I think boomer conservatives are much more aware than they were five years ago. I mean, it's astonishing to me kind of where they've come, but I would say it's the vaccine mandates. You know, I think that there's a lot of people who, for what I would say are, are solid reasons are skeptical or afraid of the vaccine. Um, but almost everyone is opposed to mandating it and that has a very very narrow constituency in this country so you know and people just i think that the the developments that you're seeing in the labor movement um are kind of specific to the the mandate around the vaccine i mean i come from a union household and um growing up and i know that part of the culture Particularly, I mean, it's it's ironic, but like particularly in the Northeast where unions still have quite a bit of clout, um, there's a lot of guys who are not going to go to work who who are vaccinated. You know, if if uh, Joe, the guy who works, you know, on the assembly line or at the construction site or whatever with them is going to get fired because he won't get a vaccine. There's lots of guys who just, you know, that they they're not going to go to work. Um so, and we saw a bit of that with the Southwestern, uh, the Southwestern, we covered this on um, a news aggregator I run, uh, news.libertasbella.com. But, the, you know, the, um, that action by the, by the Southwestern pilots, I mean, that was a strike. Um, they're not allowed to strike. They, what they are allowed to do is work to rule. And work to rule is, is, you know, exactly what it sounds like. It means you have a contract that outlines your duties. You do exactly what they are and absolutely nothing more. And the absolutely nothing more uh, is the monkey wrench in the system that means that they have to cancel, you know, 100 flights or whatever it was. Um, but I have been kind of sounding the alarm bells about, you know, what's going to happen when longshoremen won't unload the ships? What's going to happen when truckers won't drive trucks? What's going to happen when electrical linemen won't go out and repair um, the lines? And it's kind of like, it's almost like an Atlas Shrugged kind of thing. But um, I really think that there's some, there's, you know, you need to kind of keep your eye on labor through all of this, particularly as they're using the workplace to enforce the mandate. So when when I said great reset, this is also um, what I meant. So kind of me personally, when I refer to great reset, I for me everything else under it, you know, that includes mm-hmm. vaccine passports, that includes the vaccine mandates, and and all of these things. So so I think we're yeah we're we're on the same page. And of course, this this seems seems to be the most frontline uh, aspect issue at the moment of the great reset. These vaccine certificates and passports and. Even here now in Mexico, it's getting uh, insane. So I fled to Mexico uh, a year ago. I mean, I I'm also a Mexican citizen, so <laughs> I, I'm a Mexican. I'm a Mexican. So for people who like criticize me, hey, you can't. I'm, I'm Mexican, all right. So <laughs> as well as an American, uh, and uh, it's coming here fast. You know, a lot of people are fleeing to Mexico, and I'm also I, I'm also a Croatian citizen. So I'm I, I'm seeing now in Croatia, they've just announced. January 2022, you're going to need vaccine certificates for citizens who need public services. 
So I'm so I'm assuming like if you have to go to a government office and get an yeah. ID or something. And here at the same time, it's happening simultaneously here in Mexico. So the governor of my state in Mexico just announced January 2020, same time as in Croatia, same time as here in other countries. Uh, they're going to start introducing vaccine certificates for some locations. And we know how this goes. It's going to spread uh, right. to everywhere. And he's even now proposed in Mexico for entering the state. Uh, you will need a certificate. So it's like, wh so what? If I leave the state unvaccinated, I come back in, I, I can't go back to my house in the state. And this has been proposed in Canada. I, th I think I'm not sure if they're actually like starting to do it in Canada. And I know the Biden administration proposed it inter uh, vaccine certificates for interstate travel in the U.S., so, I mean, it's all crazy. And uh, how do you think this is going to play out? Because it seems they just keep pushing it and a certain percentage of the population is, is going along. I'm starting to see some resistance with some people here uh, in Mexico who, um, you know, th they're thinking of quitting their jobs or, or whatever. Uh, how do you think this is going to play out? I just I, 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 I don't think it's going to end well for the. Uh the globalist elites or however you choose to, to term them. I mean, I don't think it's going well now. Um, I would think that um, anyone with a cursory knowledge of French history knows that, um, you know, France is France and the fifth Republic is a bit of a miracle. Uh, it's the longest lasting government France has had since the uh, ancient regime of the middle ages that was overthrown in the french revolution so i would argue that um i don't know much about the situation in eastern europe but i know that in western europe which is ironic because everybody's been looking at you know the visegrad states for leadership on this but it hasn't really been forthcoming it's mostly been on the streets of the more solidly pro-NATO, pro-EU, Western nations like Spain, like Italy, like France, like the UK, for that matter, uh, not obviously in the EU anymore. But um, I also think that what's going on in Australia, you know, I just don't see any of this as sustainable. The situation certainly isn't. You know, the idea that they're going to stay in this kind of mixed area between repression of the population and rioting in the streets you know that's not that's that's a tension that needs to be resolved at some point and it needs to be resolved either by the government giving in or you know the the, the people giving in um i don't think that there's like i don't think people in australia and france and etc are going home i think that particularly in France, the situation is very, very volatile. I think it's much more volatile than people think. There's a long-standing, deep, deep tradition in France of arch-conservative military officers who are connected to the old nobility. Sometimes, you know, the, the, the Bourbons, sometimes the Orleans, sometimes the Bonapartes. Uh, lots of crossover with traditional Catholicism, uh, this kind of, you know, state within a state. We heard some murmurings about this over the last year or so that there were officers in the French um, military that were warning of civil war in France and um, discussing plans to oust the president of France. I think that the French elections are going to be a... Um, a real monkey wrench in the spanner for the EU and the NGOs and um, you know those kinds of globalist forces because they, I think, thought that they were getting Marina Le Pen as everybody did, and Marina Le Pen, um, I think that. I don't know enough about French politics to say that she's unelectable, but she may well be. I mean, it's like, you know, her last name might as well be Hitler as far as 30% of the French population is concerned. You know, I don't, I don't know that she could win no matter how much momentum she has going into a first round. Uh, Eric Zemmour can win and is probably a much 
uh, tougher customer than Marina Le Pen is. So I would keep your eye on what's going on there right now, because what you're seeing is what I predicted in November of 2020, a year ago. And that was that, you know, the the way that I put it at the time was that the MAGA rallies and the anti-lock, anti-COVID protocol stuff were going to merge into a single political movement. Um, this is basically what you are seeing in France right now, that the, um, you know, the very anti-EU, anti-immigration, um, pro-social conservatism branch of French politics is merging with the anti-lockdown, anti-vaccination mandate, anti-COVID protocol movement, and it is a very, very powerful uh, political stew. And I would argue that, you know, there's even though it may not be being discussed in these terms explicitly, that the critical race theory debate informs almost every aspect of uh, right political discourse throughout the West today. And so I think that, you know, when I say that I'm very optimistic, you know, I just kind of like I say, I just don't know how people aren't because to me, everything's moving the way that we want it to. And people hear these grand decrees, these pronouncements from, you know, whoever from the World Economic Forum or whatever NGO. And it's like, these people can want to do anything that they want, but the rubber has to meet the road at some point. You know, they eventually have to implement it. And the implementation stage has been an absolute unmitigated disaster throughout the West, you know, I mean, thousands of people turning out for these illegal rallies against COVID protocols, all kinds of resistance against the vaccine mandates. Um, there's a more in France, you know, and whatever's going to happen in next year's midterm elections in the United States, which I think is going to be a 1994 tier route for the Republicans because they've got barn burner issues. And it's not, you know, everybody likes to say, oh, they're going to, you know, they'll blow it just like they always do. And it's like the Republican Party is not what it was two years ago. It's not what it was a year ago. Um, it's not so much that I think that they're going to, they being the central national party is going to get tough on any of this stuff. I just think that the genie's out of the bottle and we're going to have a lot more, uh, MTGs, a lot more Lauren Boberts, a lot more Matt Gates's, a lot more Paul Gosar's, um, a lot more people like that in Congress because at the you know it's the whole all politics is local thing. Who do you think is going to get elected in this giant Republican wave? It's going to be anti-COVID people. It's going to be anti-CRT people, and that's the messaging that they're going to campaign on. And you're going to get those types of of, of candidates. Yeah, you're painting uh, an interesting picture. We're really in the in the thick of it, and and it's a big struggle uh, worldwide. I'm seeing photos, uh, images, video today from my home in, in Croatia, the, the capital Zagreb. Uh, people uh, get there in the, in front of the the government building, congregating, and in other cities, I saw. From Melbourne, the the Aussie Cossack, the Simeon Boykov, a really interesting guy, uh, ha- posting video of the big protests in in Melbourne, and it actually brought brought me to tears. I'm going to admit, uh, in the video they 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 played, I think it was the Australian national anthem, and it, it, it was quite uh, moving. And so so yeah, it, I think you're, you're painting a, an interesting and, and good picture. It's it's a big struggle uh, ahead. I, I wanted to quote. Um, a past guest of mine, Artyom Lukin, a Russian academic, just posted to his Twitter to sum up, humanity can now choose between the West's wokeism, Russia's neo-feudalism, and China's slightly dystopian digital socialism. It's good to have a choice uh, anyway. So I, I, th- <laughs> I, thought, I thought that was, it's kind of like 1984, right? George Orwell, three super states, which are all authoritarian to, with different flavors. And it seems like we're, we're headed, headed in that direction. And just to add on to, um, we were talking about the vaccine mandates. 
beyond that, like for me, the, the one biggest thing is the social uh, credit system, so, which is like the second phase for me of the vaccine passport. So you've written that, quote, global elites were grooming the world population for a police state, end quote. You know, it's like a TSA 2.0, a TSA yep. gone, gone national, international vaccine passports are the digital IDs, which is the social credit system. And for me, again, it's the nail uh, in the coffin. Kind of like before this system, no matter how bad things were, you could always, you know, find a way to survive. But it seems that, you know, the installation of this system would basically cement totalitarianism 100 uh, percent. Many others have written about it. You know, it's the point of no uh, return. And you've also written that, quote, conservatives are, are already being denied bank accounts because of their beliefs and the beliefs that warrant financial blacklisting are, are increasingly expanded. It's not too much to imagine that in the very near future, financial blacklisting and social ostracism enforced by big tech and big finance will come to include any critics of so-called you know, racial equity or any other aspect of uh, regime ideology, end quote, or COVID or whatnot. We've seen Nick Fuentes, the, the YouTuber from Illinois, where I'm from, he's been on a no-fly list in the U.S. He's mm -hmm. had his bank account uh, shut down. Laura Witzke, I forget her last name. She had her Wells Fargo account closed for no reason. And I've seen others ha have their Santander. Um, what's the other bank? Uh, HSBC accounts closed mm -hmm. just for their political views. And it's not just for the conservatives. It's going to be happening to left and, and others. And I'm raising the alarm on this. And no one seems, everyone's just kind of like smug, not batting an eye. And I'm like, they're starting to do this now, and it's going to expand <laughs> if we don't do something. So what are your thoughts on the social credit system? Well, I mean, I think the, the, the concerns that you raise are very real, um, and I think people should be rightly concerned about financial blacklisting. Um, however, I also think that it's an excellent opportunity to move out of the uh, financial <laughs> system of fiat currency. Uh, with, you know, I mean, I think that there's basically going to be an explosion in cryptocurrency in response to this, which again will diminish the power of the, of the Federal Reserve, thus diminishing the power of the managerial state. Um, I think that like a lot of other things, I just don't, I just don't think it's going well for them. You know, I think that, yeah, they financially blacklist a couple people, but they had to flinch on, of all people, General Flynn. And General Flynn is like, I would argue, 10 times the bogeyman to the left that, you know, somebody like Nick Fuentes or um, not that he was financially blacklisted as far as I know, but you did, you know, you mentioned that he's on the no fly list. Um, you know, I think that um, in terms of the global globalist power structure, um, I would argue that uh, General Michael Flynn is probably one of the two or three most dangerous people as, as far as they're concerned. You know, whether or not that perceived threat is is real or imaginary, you know, I, I couldn't say it's honestly above my pay grade, but um, I think that they're very, very threatened by General Flynn. And they couldn't, you know, deplatform, or they couldn't financially blacklist him. I mean, they tried. Um, I think that he actually probably would have been pretty low-hanging fruit. Um, but they they couldn't do it, um, so that's kind of where I'm at. I mean, I, I I think people need to be aware of this stuff. I think people need to be um, educating themselves about these issues and knowing that this is where the trend is going. But I also just don't think that I think that basically we live in an era where, due to um, you know emerging technologies like the internet. Um, solar power would be another example of this. Uh, it's increasingly, and and you know, blockchain technology. I think probably even more than the internet, because I think that the blockchain technology is going to make it very very difficult to shut down commerce, to shut down the internet. Um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of applications there for privacy and things like that, um, but I just don't see. I don't even think that they, that's the thing. I, I don't even think they act like a confident ruling class, you know, and that's a big thing, you know, Orwell speaking through the person of Gold, Goldstein in uh, 1984 talks about, you know, when ruling classes lose their, their self confidence, they become very, very dangerous. 
uh, because they become very, very desperate. And I think that we should be mindful of the danger that they present in their desperation. But I think that we really need to view it as a legitimate, a legitimation crisis. You know, there's a crisis of legitimacy in the United States right now. Um, I think that however you want to break it down, that there is mass distrust of American political institutions right now. And I think that's a good thing because I don't think people should trust American political institutions. So on the one hand, you have all these kind of desperate grabs and attempts to reassert their power in ways that they, you know, in these increasingly desperate measures that they have to resort to. And on the other side, you have this growing awareness that the emperor has no clothes. And I don't want to kind of phrase it in terms of like people are waking up, you know, because I think that's kind of like childish uh, language to look at it. I think it's more just that these attacks on people's freedoms are, are impacting them in ways that like, I mean, you think about it this way, right? TSA, I hate TSA, probably. I, you know, I hate the TSA like other people hate the IRS. I really hate the TSA. Um, and the intrusion of on your rights by the TSA, you know, lasts about two minutes or whatever it is. Um, now contrast that with what's going on in the schools, what's going on with COVID mandates and vaccine mandates and vaccine passports and things like this. Um, I think that it's, it's, it's difficult to ignore, particularly when you start bringing people's kids into it and their livelihoods. Um, and, you know, I just don't know what success the uh, Biden regime can really point to other than shoving that doddering old man into the Oval Office by hook or by crook, right? Like, other than that, what's their, what's their big win? Like, I'm, not, I'm just not seeing it. I'm not seeing what their big win is. They got Biden in the White House. Mm -hmm. What are they doing with it? They barely got that, you know, highly modified version of their infrastructure bill passed, which I'm aware is very bad. Um, and we should be fighting through the you know, means that we have available to us. But, um, you know, that was not the one that was not the bill that he wanted passed. And that's his like big moment of glory. And it's probably going to be the only one he's going to get because, we're almost at campaign season. And so these guys got to go home and sell this stuff. So the honeymoon period, I think, between you know, whoever is pulling the strings over at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue and congressional Democrats, I think, is over. Uh, because you know, unless you're AOC or uh, whoever, you need to go back to you know, Peoria or Topeka or whatever and sell this bill to people in you know a potentially competitive um election i mean i just don't see people talk a lot about like oh they're gonna do this and they're gonna do that it's like they're not they're gonna try and you shouldn't be complacent about it but like where's their where's their big success everything they try blows up in their face yeah, I mean, uh, I have thoughts uh, as well. Um, exactly, kind of what what you're saying that they won't succeed, and maybe things aren't so bad. And you know, maybe I should move back <laughs> to the U.S. And um, you, you mentioned funny the the TSA. I remember a decade ago, I used to do this. Sometimes I would wear my T-shirt. Uh, people might have different views, but uh, I had a T-shirt. I have a T-shirt says 9/11 uh, was an inside job, and I would still refuse uh, to go through those nuclear. I call them the nuclear porno scanners, right? Those uh, uh, radi yeah, radiation yeah, yeah, right. devices. And uh, at the time, I would always opt out. Most people don't know you can opt out. So I remember once wearing that shirt um, and then telling the, the TSA guy, I want to opt out. And then he's like looking at me like I'm crazy. And then he makes me wait 15 minutes or so. And I almost missed my flight. And so um, I thought that was, that was just a, a bit of a funny anecdote. But also you mentioned the blockchain and we are having some success with this. For example, uh, you know, my YouTube channel is getting censored. I just got another strike. One strike just expired and I just got a new one for uploading an interview with an Australian senator of all people. And Odyssey is now, now growing. So it's, it's almost getting to the point where uh there's getting we're getting a lot of views on the non-youtube platforms so it's like we just as you're saying these alternative systems are being built and we don't need 
this crap uh, anymore from big tech and Silicon Valley. Uh, and maybe then to talk about guns, right? Since it's ammo.com, right? And you wrote a piece on when, when I think about guns for me, it's, it's, you know, the whole idea of the second amendment is to de defend yourself from a tyrannical um, regime, government, states, and, you know, I always think about democide uh, as well, because I'm a history professor. And, you know, that's a topic that you wrote about. And it's I think it's extremely neglected. RJ Rommel coined the term, uh, I believe, and he wrote the famous book on it. And I've interviewed Italian academic uh, Ugo Bardi on it, who says, you know, that this could happen again in the future. And I think we have to understand that the government, especially government with concentrated power is, I think, can be one of the greatest forces of evil. History proves this. And and uh, I think, you know, it's the key to understanding what's going on today. You you, um, you cannot absolutely believe what your government is, is telling you and have faith in, and hope in them. And firearms are definitely a bulwark uh, against democide and against a bad government. And, um, you know, for example, my current Mexican government. I mean, they they could you know carry out a democide at, at some point. You know, we have small examples of this. We regularly have Mexican authorities and police collect and hand over innocent civilians to organize crime for extermination. You know, that happened a few years ago, and I uh, with the forty three students that were taken by police and just exterminated in the field, like a mini uh, democide. So, you know, what are your thoughts on on democide as well as? Second Amendment today and, and, and firearms. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of bummed that if I were in the U.S., you know, I, I, I'd, I have my license. I'd be having a lot of guns right now. But in Mexico, it's really tough to get a license. Well, I would argue that one of the reasons why uh, America did not become Canada or Australia or even the U.K. over the course of the, uh, you know, pandemic in air quotes, um, you know, that's one of the big reasons why we weren't that is the second amendment. I mean, and, and, and it's not that I think that we're five minutes away from some kind of, you know, peasants grabbing their pitchforks and torches moment. Cause I certainly don't, but I do think that um, they have to constantly be triangulating what an arm, how an armed population will respond to X, Y, and Z. Uh, but I do, as I stated at the beginning of the podcast, think that people need to be very, very frank and honest about the massive power disparities between um, the state and its, you know, tendrils and the average um, citizen, and that this is a this is a, this is a serious problem. I mean, the power disparity between you and your local police department isn't what it used to be. Do you have a tank? I don't. Um, so, you know, I think that we really need to be honest about the um, massive ability of the state to commit violence in a way that simply wasn't true a hundred years ago. You know, there just wasn't the disparity between um, the amount of damage that the the average citizen could do and the you know what the what the government could do um you know 50 or, or, or 100 years ago um and i think that any analysis of conflict between the united states and an armed citizenry has to face that reality honestly or else it's it's flawed analysis yeah, and I agree with what you said about you know the Australians being disarmed and 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 yep. and others. I mean, just the fact that there are so many guns in the population are a bulwark for the government, and it's like they've created this tyrannical pretext for taking control, right? COVID or whatever, mm -hmm. and it's like they. I don't think that how would you, how would they then deal with if they push too far? The fact that the population have have guns it's like because something a spark can be lit and then it's like what does the government do then right like well they have nukes i mean you know I, like i mean and they also have directed energy weapons and all these other kind of exotic uh darpa toys and you know people say well um what about the vietnamese or you know the taliban it's like you're not they're not the threat that you are 
you're not no one's backing the united states government and the global power structure that it represents into a corner quite like the american citizenry so i would not bank on we're a bunch of um you know simple peasant rebellion folk and what are they going to do but fight a draining 20-year guerrilla campaign against us um i you know all those nasty toys that they're developing at darpa those are for you yeah and um what other then issues uh, are are on your mind i'm i'm thinking a lot um of these parallel structures economy uh, and mm -hmm. society going forward um just because you kind of have to to, to survive right and no matter what you're doing whether i'm podcasting you know that they, they shut down my patreon and stuff like this and you know they, they kick you off of the big tech platforms it's like okay i gotta figure out something else or now i can't fly to the us with my family because my wife needs to be injected and we're not doing that so like I guess I have to get a coyote and cross illegally <laughs> into my own country. I don't, I don't know. So it's basically trying to figure out these decentralized uh, alternative systems. Um, so, I mean, what other issues are you thinking about or, or, or perhaps uh, this issue? Well, I think that crypto is like, I mean, crypto, I think is, 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 is great um, because it does, it is a really good example of one of these parallel structures and exiting, you know, the, the centralized, um, financial system i i think that uh ties to your local community are very very important you know i don't know what to specifically recommend that you do but there's tons of ways to get involved in your local uh, community you know volunteer fire department school board uh sheriff's posse you know there's all these kinds of civic institutions that are hungry for young men and by young men i mean you know men under 50. um so a lot of these and a lot of stuff is available to people who show up particularly at the local level particularly when you live in a smaller community um and i think that people need to be first and foremost making those kinds of ties i think that after that it's about anti-fragility the least amount of debt that you can have owning your own land uh at least have a generator you know i think that um i'm not an expert and people should do their own research but three weeks of food and three weeks of water i think is a good um thing to have on hand because i think that um we had jason hartman on my podcast the resistance library a few weeks ago and he talked about how you know in three weeks the situation will normalize we don't know what normalize means but we know it's not mad max um you know we could be that the uh you know the mayor or the sheriff of your county is now his lordship uh, the, the earl of you know wherever but um in any event i think that having that kind of stuff in place um, I think that people really, you know, I hate the idea of like lowering your standard of living, um, but I think that people really should take a look at their standard of living and ask themselves um, how they might potentially benefit from having a lower standard of living and cost of living and living more simply and needing less uh, fiat currency to live off of. And I think that the next kind of thing is skills. You know, you need your first aid you need your basic repair you need to know how to do stuff like that and then you know the next kind of step is then that's when you start talking about you know getting ammunition uh getting things like that but you need shelter you need power you need some kind of financial independence um uh, just you know. a question, question on the the crypto so um yeah what you're saying is interesting but now we're starting to see you know the government irs whatever uh, they're talking about regulating crypto and taxing and i know there are like different types of crypto there's like these private cryptocurrencies and you have like bitcoin and then they people say that you know bitcoin if the government wants or they can already forensically you know figure out you know everyone who's who's doing what with uh bitcoin what are your thoughts because uh, we're, we're talking about kind of surviving a tough road ahead but if the government has this power to tax and regulate the crypto uh, how's that going to then affect things well they can certainly try you know that's kind of what i think is they can certainly try um i just don't think that 
I, I just feel like the tighter they grip, the less they can hold. Um, the more they advance on any of these issues, the more people they send into our arms. You know, there's a very, very narrow constituency in this country for taxing unrealized capital gains, uh, teaching anti-white racism in public schools, teaching uh, radical, perverse, demonic uh, gender ideology in public schools. Um, you know, I just don't think that there's there's a very narrow constituency for all of these things, and the very narrow constituency uh, does not fight the wars on the ground, does not drive the trucks, does not, um, you know, do really anything of great value. And um, so I just, you know, I, as I as I kind of keep reiterating, you know, the, the rubber has to meet the road at a certain point. And I think that the Biden uh, regime and the, you know, various and sundry arms of the great octopus of globalism, uh, the state and the non-governmental organizations, you know, their track record over the last five years of getting what they want is very, very poor. They did not want Donald Trump to be president of the United States. They did not want Britain to leave the EU. They do not want Bolonsaro. They uh, do not want, I'm sorry, I'm spacing on his name right now. The, Bolsonaro, I think, or previously. Uh, and, hung, and Hungary. Um, uh, Orban. Yeah, they don't want Orban. They don't want Zamora in France. Um, you know, I, I, I think that um, if you point to like world leaders that have the stamp of approval of the uh, globalist elites, that it's kind of a, a short list and that those uh, leaders are very embattled. I mean, you take, you know, France, uh, you take Australia, the UK to a lesser degree, Canada to a lesser degree, but people are not laying down for any of this because it's just too much. It's just too much. You know, there's like, there's, there's the thing where like, there's a balance to strike here, right? Because like in a certain sense, you know, people are like, oh, it's the end of everything, blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, no, because the system is inherently uh, opposed to reality. So, it cannot sustain. I mean, it's just that simple on a certain level. But the more complicated version of it is, well, uh, you know, Bolshevism lasted 80 years in the Soviet Union. So, yeah, a regime that is this radically at variance with reality cannot sustain, but cannot sustain could mean 80, 100, 200 years. Um, but Again, you know, what we have on our side is that we are in alignment with the, the you know, fundamental principles of reality. I mean, think about how much of the left's ideology rests upon getting people to accept things that are wildly false as being real. How much of leftist discourse and ideology rests upon just wildly wildly false premises that are wildly at variance with reality yeah and i was just going to comment it's 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 far reaching uh, the damage you know um for the last few years i was working uh, in kazakhstan at nur sultan nazarbayev's intellectual schools there's 20 of them all around Kazakhstan and not at the same campus where I was working, but another, uh, just I think last week it was reported a student, uh, they had dressed up boys who were wearing uh, skirts and yes. just by their discussion, you can tell that they're, they have succumbed to the woke, uh, you know, perverse trends. Uh, ideology. And for me, I, I've seen this for years working in education in foreign countries. The internet is the primary infrastructure medium transmitting these ideas, right? It's no longer, well, the film, Netflix, blogs, YouTube, social media, and, and these far-reaching, you know, at the ends of the earth, conservative 
countries like Kazakhstan, which, you know, not, I'll, I will tell you like 95% of the people more are opposed to this, but the youth now are being infected with this. And so the kid uh, was admonished by one of the teachers and I've lived in the high rise uh, apartments, you know, nine, 10 floors, well, the Soviet buildings in Kazakhstan. And the kid jumped out of his 11th floor um, apartment and committed suicide. And so this is, this is, you know, the result of this, what's, what's happening. And it's good though, that you're optimistic. So, you know, for people who complain that I'm too uh, cynical or pessimistic, I'm oscillating between, we had our Russian physician, military physician recently, who's basically saying it's the end of the world. I spoke to the Senator from Australia, who's very optimistic and as, as you are. So something for everyone, Uh, any final thought then to leave us with? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Sam Jacob 1776. I'd also urge everybody to go to ammo.com forward slash Sam. You can get $20 off any order of $200 or more on ammunition. We have most common calibers in stock, the stuff you think you can't get at your local gun store. We have at ammo.com forward slash Sam. Uh, also, I run a news aggregator, news.libertasbella.com. Com. We cover a lot of the uh, anti-COVID stuff, anti-CRT stuff. You know, I I'm not a Pollyanna, but I do think people need to be aware of like the victories that we're having that I would argue are great and many right now. They just are small uh, and they're local and they're and they're uh, you know not as generalized as I think people would like. But we need to look at this as a process and things unfolding over the course of time. And I kind of try and document that struggle uh, on news.libertasbella.com. So. Thanks again for having me. Yeah, uh, and uh, I'll include the links in the description. I, I wasn't, I couldn't find your Twitter uh, and as well as Libertas Bella. Uh, so everyone, be sure to check out ammo.com. And you know, g- given that it's much easier for y'all up north to own and carry firearms, uh, I, I know you'll be staying safe. So yeah, thanks for being a geopolitics and empire. I hope you enjoyed this geopolitics and empire podcast interview. The website is geopoliticsandempire.com, and I encourage you to sign up for the free email list through which you can receive an update of every new podcast, as well as a long list of key news headlines once a week. We're being heavily censored. YouTube has deleted some of our videos, and we currently have one strike. Patreon has terminated our account. Facebook has restricted our page, and Reddit has been the leading posts. Our favorite social media channels are Telegram and Twitter. The best places to watch the podcast beyond YouTube are on Odyssey, BitChute, and Brighteon. The best places to listen to the podcast are on SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, Google, or on any other podcast app. To help keep this podcast alive, leave a review on Apple Podcasts and wherever else, subscribe to all our platforms, and leave a donation if possible via Subscribestar, PayPal, Bitcoin, or Ethereum. You can also find us on MeWe, Minds, Gab, Float, VK, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Thanks for listening.